I just feel so strongly that it's one of the most important things that can be done is to create art and to be connected with your artist self in a true way and in a profound way. And that the process of helping artists move toward their artistic goals is really best um, accomplished in a safe kind of a, you know, relationship and a safe environment. Welcome to the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast with Bree Noble. Bree is a musician, entrepreneur, speaker, and founder of Women of Substance Music Radio and Podcast. Bree's interviews with successful female musicians and industry pros are both inspirational and informational. She also answers your questions about the music business. Bree is on a mission to help you create great music, connect with your fans, and grow your business, and to truly become a female entrepreneur musician. Hey, hey, this is Brie Noble, and you are tuned in to the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast, where we talk about making great music, connecting with your audience, and growing your business. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by my free Musician's Profit Path Masterclass, the five-stage blueprint for creating massive growth in your fan base and sustainable income for your music career. If you feel overwhelmed by everything you think you need to do for your music career, or you've watched other musicians and tried to do what they're doing, but it hasn't worked for you, well, don't worry. That's why I created the five stages of music career growth. So you can figure out where you're at right now, learn exactly what you should be focusing on and what you shouldn't be focusing on so you don't waste time and money. I also give you benchmarks to reach in several key areas like live performing, fan base growth, social media, recording, and more. So join me for my free masterclass, The Musician's Profit Path, over at musiciansprofitpath.com. Today we are talking to performance coach Vicki Ambinder. It's been a while since I've had a performance coach on the show, and I always love talking to performance coaches because there are kind of these common issues that musicians deal with when they're on stage that she speaks to a lot in this episode. So you're definitely going to want to stay tuned throughout the whole thing. Let me tell you a little bit about Vicki Ambinder. Vicki Ambinder, music performance coach and artistic consultant, has been a professional in the performing and media arts for nearly 40 years. In person and by Skype and FaceTime, Vicki helps musicians and bands of all ages, experience levels, and genres to improve and enhance their live and studio performing skills and to work toward their artistic goals. She is also a CD pre-production consultant and studio vocal tracks producer for independent recording artists. In addition to coaching clients across the U.S. and in Canada, Vicki teaches masterclasses for conferences, camps, festivals, schools, organizations, and private groups. On her website, vickiambinder.com, she posts her in-depth conversations about performance with elite-level performing artists. So here is my interview with Vicki Ambinder. So that's a little bit about Vicki Ambinder. So Vicki, is there anything about you that's a little bit different, unique, quirky, more personal that is not in your bio that you think our listeners should know? Unique and quirky. Um, <laughs> I, I guess I'm not sure how quirky it is, but 
I guess the thing that I hear most from clients is that I seem to work from a place of kindness, mm. which, and, and it's kind of all about developing the trust relationship. This is a terrible thing to say, but in the music business, that probably is a somewhat unique thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I always say, you ever see that movie Whiplash? Well, it's not that yeah. <laughs> at all. Um, yeah, it's, it's really, I just feel so strongly that it's one of the most important things that can be done is to create art and to be connected with your artist self in a true way and in a profound way and that the process of helping artists move toward their artistic goals is really best um, accomplished in a safe kind of a you know relationship in a safe mm-hmm. environment and so I look at sessions with clients um, and I'm really careful to call them clients as opposed to students mm-hmm. and to call myself a coach as opposed to a teacher I, I really look at those sessions as sort of like let's just get into the sandbox and throw the sand around and you know see what we can find and to have permission to get a little bit out of your comfort zone and and to test your boundaries a little bit and to be in a state of mind where you can start collecting those insights and applying them to your artistic journey. So I don't know if that's quirky or unique, but, <laughs> but, but that's what I most often hear from people. You know, people kind of feel like it's, I, I am not a therapist and never uh, call myself one, but people do feel that the process is somewhat therapeutic because they have the, that time is really just focusing on them and their artistic journey. And, and that does feel really special to a lot of people because we're all very fractured in our lives and taking care of a lot of things. And it's nice to just have that regular amount of time that you can count on to, um, to really just focus on those kinds of priorities and, you know, even getting out of the business side of things, you know, and really just having it be in the artistic side. That's true. I, I have to say that's something I miss about, you know, having we- weekly voice lessons is mm-hmm. like, like you said, you just kind of like throw aside all the other life things and you're just here with this other person and, you know, their whole goal is to help you be better and it's a collaborative effort. And so that's what it sounds like. You're not just instructing them. It's a total collaborative effort. Yeah. I really feel like it's my job to be their advocate and not, you know, you know, I'm, I, I always go through this whole kind of uh, introductory spiel when I first start working with somebody. And, and it's really about, um, you know, being careful to say this is, this process is not about me being a big old expert. It's about me helping you find uh, your way towards your goals and advocating for you in that journey. So it's not about me saying, do this, do that. Um, I mean, I certainly have expertise to offer and, and, and insights uh, to bring to the table, but mostly my expertise, I believe in that kind of work is about really kind of knowing what questions to ask and, mm. and how to sort of, you know, bring things up and bring things out if that makes sense. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, I do, it does. I mean, I think it can be so tempting as somebody that's helping artists in this way to just like spew your advice and, yeah. you know, and tell them that you should do this, this, and this. And it takes another level 
to be okay with like, I don't need to be seen as the expert and I want to help them figure it out for themselves and that kind of thing. So I appreciate that, that angle for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do a lot of workshops in a lot of different settings and it's, it's always, it's a little bit, it's a little bit of a different skill set because you are kind of going for that, you know, there, I, I do them in masterclass format and typically. And so you know, you're working with people on the spot and trying to coach them in different directions. And really in the process of that, I'm, I'm trying to cover various elements of effective live performance. And um, so it's, you know, sometimes it feels like you're just kind of going for the quick adjustment, you know, mm. um, but, but I do try to kind of give a hint in those settings of like what's possible if you go deeper. And it's not just, you know, it's really about working from the inside out. It's not about you know, the surface going into the middle. It's, you know, it's trying yeah. to, trying to make it organic and coming from um, a deep and kind of profound place. So not always easy to do when you've got seven minutes with somebody, you know. That's <laughs> uh, true. It's true. So I yeah. want to find out a little bit about your background and how you got started doing this work. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I've been playing music since I was, I don't even remember, probably two, um, two or three. There's, there's a there's a possibly apocryphal story in my family about how um, when we went to go see some movie when I was four or something and my parents had just bought a piano and I came home and they say that I sat down and played the score to the movie which I find hard to believe but but I think you know I was probably sounding things out you know with my little tiny hands <laughs> but, right um, so I started they put me into uh, piano lessons and I played for, I, I studied for about 10 years from the age of five. And uh, then, and during that time was also doing theater and musical theater and, uh, and then um, quit taking the piano lessons to do other things. And my teacher who's so fan was so fantastic. She said, you know, I mean, I felt so terrible about it, <laughs> you know, and she was like, you know, you're going to use music in ways that you could never imagine right now. And, and that turned out to be true. Mm. Um, it was such a great basis, though, for understanding, you know, theory and, and uh, expression of music. And yeah, what I'm curious, what grade did you quit piano? Um, I was 15 when I quit. So oh, let's see, that's that's better than me. I, I was piano from first through I think middle of sixth grade, I quit. Yeah. But I mean, that was the foundation. Like that was how yes. I could do what I eventually did as a singer songwriter without that foundation. I couldn't know. Yeah. I think I kind of, I felt like I was sort of reaching a crossroads where it was like, am I going to study very seriously or am I going to, you know, kind of try to do other teenagery stuff? Right. And, and I think even I, I had to even admit to myself, I had a terrible work ethic. I really mm -hmm. hated to practice. And I think also my hands were just a little too small, you know, to really be an effective pianist. So I, I just kind of went off in other directions. But all during that time, I was starting to teach myself other instruments and, and doing theater, like I said, and, and getting a lot of training in, um, in sort of actor studio style uh, theater acting training. And then in, in college, I went to a college that has a conservatory, but I wasn't in the conservatory. But it was great being surrounded by so many musicians. So just tons of music all the time, playing, playing. And then a sh I guess a few years after school, I ended up getting a job as a production assistant in a film production company and working my way up to producing fairly quickly there. 
And as part of uh, producing, I was doing studio producing where I was producing voiceover sessions and um, working with people who were scoring and really enjoyed that. And, uh, and then kind of and went off freelance for a while. And then I started working with artists in this kind of a, in this kind of work sort of accidentally. I was working, well, a friend of mine came to me and said, hey, I want to do my first record. And I was like, sure. And he had never been in the studio before. He'd never done anything like that before. So I was sort of helping him get ready to go to the studios. I was pre-producing for him. We were working towards me producing his record. And and uh, and then we we did his record. I produced his record for him. And then he said, hey, I'd really like to go out and do some shows and do a CD release. And he had never performed live. <laughs> so huh. so I started coaching him through that. And I produced his his CD release show. And then I just was looking around going, really, there's nobody doing this. You know, there's just nobody doing this kind of work. And, um, and this was many years ago. And I just started, you know, word of mouth and, and uh, just kind of developing a practice and developing my methodology and sort of inventing it. There really weren't any mentors or anything for me at that time and, and just started sort of figuring out how to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and just bringing the, you know, all the other experience to bear, you know, my own experience as a performing musician and, and uh, as a studio producer and, and my training as an actor and a director in theater and, and my work as a film producer, all those skills really kind of play into the way that I approach this work. So that's, that's mainly the story right there. Got it. So where, where do you tend to find your clients now? Is it all word of mouth and how are you kind of like, do they tend to come to you for a holistic help or just like individual specific things? Yeah. Um, I do get a lot of clients word of mouth. I get other clients from from doing master classes at various places around the country. I surprisingly get a lot of work from Google. It always surprises me you know, that people find me that way, but you know that they know what to look for. Are you doing this work only locally or like no. do you do it over the internet? Yeah, I'm doing online work with people all okay. over the country and in Canada and, you know, yeah. Um, so I do work with people locally, but a lot of times most of my clients are actually online. So mm, Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So I think that, you know, the term like artist development has kind of become a buzzword, but sometimes we don't really know what it means. What does it mean to you and how do you, you know, quote develop artists yeah I I look at it more like rather than me developing artists it's helping artists develop themselves Mm -hmm. and really it kind of comes down to a fundamental principle of I believe that there is a way that you experience artistic truth your own artistic truth that's pretty fundamental and really kind of lands in your person in a very recognizable way if you are only trained to recognize it. And a lot of the work that I do with artists in terms of helping them develop their artist self is helping them develop the muscles basically to recognize what is artistically true for them. And so it's really about helping people develop their sense of their own artistic sensibility. And so kind of what I was talking about before, I really feel like I'm the advocate for them to, to move toward that development. And so I've, 
I work with people like say there are some clients I've been working with for years where it's really about their career, you know, artistic career. And so we'll work together to talk about, so say they're, they want to do their third record. So we'll be looking at, you know, we will have already understood the journey to the first record and the second record. And then now the third record, what is that we'll be working towards? What does that mean artistically for me? You know, it's for the artist. And so it's really about that deep process of, of really understanding what's artistically true. And, and so there's a trajectory, there's an artistic trajectory that I think artists have every right to, to, to be working toward. And um, some people compare it sort of to the A&R process mm-hmm. of, you know, what the labels used to do. But, but I think it's, for me, what I'm really interested in and what a lot of my clients are really interested in is, is sort of that um, career spanning, you know, understanding of what you're trying to say about yourself as an artist and, you know, what, are, what do you want people to know about you artistically? Um, and there's just, you know, there just aren't that many opportunities for people to do that kind of exploration these days. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, they're not getting label support or, um, or they're not on any label at all. <laughs> and so, so there's just not that guidance. And, and I'm always really careful to say that I'm not um, a business advisor. I don't go into those lanes at all. You know, I stay over in the, the art side. But um, Which is why I thought this would be interesting because, yeah. I mean, we're the, you know, the female entrepreneur musician. Like, we talk a lot about business and marketing. But obviously, you have to have this piece yes. yeah. or you've got nothing to market. No, I, I think that's really true. I think people spend a lot of time, you know, working on the entrepreneurial side and, and are, they are um, neglecting the artistic side. They're, it's not that they're not being artistic, but, but you know, in a conscious way that's, uh, that's really um, developing the intuition and, and intention and artistic mission of what they're really trying to do. Um, and that can't help but affect the business side, you know? No, I agree for sure. So I notice on your website, you talk a lot about personal groundwork, which is something that's really important to me. Like, what do you find that are some of the common obstacles that artists experience? And, you know, do they, are they, they have certain kinds of limiting beliefs that keep them from, you know, moving forward and how much of this actually has to do with talent? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I think talent is expressed in a lot of different ways and we all know, we all admire artists that really touch us deeply that may not be the best singers in the world or maybe not the best, have the best instrumental chops in the world or whatever it is, but there's something about them that is really affecting to us. And, and I think a lot of times that has to do with truth telling and intention. And I think that that's true in kind of all genres and all walks of life. I mean, I I work with people in all genres, all skill levels, all ages. And just my experience over the years has been that getting closer to the truth gets you closer to the effective performance. Mm. And that the common thing that I've well, there's a couple common things that I find, and this, this affects people of all skill levels, I think. And that is, it's kind of an odd thing to say, but it's sort of like finding the way to be in love with what you're doing. Mm. 
being in love with your material, being in love with the experience of being on the stage. And a lot of that comes from, and this is hard for people to believe, but, but I think a lot of that really comes from, like people will come to me and they'll go, oh, I don't know, I'm just not really enjoying it, or I've got a lot of nerves all of a sudden, or um, I've always had nerves, and I don't know why. And I think that where people kind of lose track is that they are not respecting their artistry enough to really develop a deep foundation for what they're expressing. And so I feel like preparation is so much of what goes into developing that. I always feel it's like, to me, it's sort of like a a tree developing deep roots. The deeper the roots, the harder it is to blow the tree down. And so preparation, really diving into your material, really understanding your intention, your mission for the material, um, really asking a lot of questions about it and fleshing it out um, is really key to that preparation. And when you have a lot of preparation, then when you go on the stage, it's not, you know, contrary to sort of what you might think, it's not too um, stiff or stagey. It's actually allows the most spontaneous things to happen because you are, you have those deep roots, you're not going to get blown over. And so a lot of the work that I do with folks is really, especially, um, I guess you could say singer songwriters, um, but really it's true for instrumentalists as well, is to really understand the story that you're trying to tell. And that's where a lot of my theater training comes in, which is really understanding character and motivation and Mm -hmm. obstacles and, you know, all those things that, that you learn when you learn that kind of theater training. And so it's always so fascinating to me that, you know, we'll, I'll start working with somebody and we'll start maybe working on constructing a set and I'll be going through their material with them and I'll start asking questions about it. And, you know, like who's telling the story, who are they telling it to? Why are they telling it in this moment? You know, what happened right before the song? And most people have never thought of those things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, um, so it's really empowering for the artist to start addressing you know, addressing those questions and, and that's deepening the material, even if it's their material or if it's, they're doing covers that we're understanding now why this is going to be an experience and then they can locate the truth of it. Well, I love that theater analogy because my daughter has been in started theater recently and you know, she has a director that really wants, even if they're like a minor character, he really wants them to know all the motivations behind their character and their backstory and all that stuff. Yes. yes. And it's, you know, when we're singer songwriters, well, we think, well, but we're ourselves, we're not acting. So why do we need to know that? But a lot of times we haven't even explored that, like you said, and we haven't really thought about it enough. We're just like, yeah, I wrote this song and I'm going to get up here and perform it. And mm-hmm. there's so much more than that. And, and a lot of times the most autobiographical songs are best served by actually turning them into characters mm. um, because then we can stand on a firmer kind of foundation of, of being able to jump into this character and not feel so exposed. Right. And then, you know, you're, you're, you're sort of, you're, you're understanding the truth of that character. It's going to be related to the truth of where the song came from, from yourself. But you can embody a character there, and sometimes people can approach that with a lot more confidence. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I was talking with my academy members today. Um, they had just been to the DIY Musician Conference and they'd seen a couple of workshops with Tom Jackson. And I mm-hmm. noticed that you work with artists on kind of their stage craft and putting on an entertaining show with all the senses. You know, what do you find are some of the things that artists struggle with or they don't even realize they're doing wrong on stage? Yeah, I think the most common one that I see, and this goes with even really experienced and well-traveled musicians, is kind of losing track of the concept of expanding to fill the space. Mm. Go big, you know, Um, understanding that you are putting on a show, (laughs) you know, and that you are responsible for being the tour guide, taking the audience by the hand and saying, we're going to go this way and I'll tell you everything you need to know and you don't have to worry. And, and a lot of that is being larger than life and, and really owning that space. That doesn't just come from deciding to do that. <laughs> Although, you know, it, it might sound like you might just be able to decide to do that. But I feel like so much of that, again, is based in preparation, having a game plan, you know, really constructing your set in a very conscious way that tells a story that has an arc and has all the elements in mind when you do it. But really it is about thinking about the size of the container that you're trying to fill up. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like this is really true in recording in the studio as well, that, you know, if you're recording a very intimate song that say it, it takes place in the middle of the night and it's, you know, it's on, on a telephone with a ex loved one and uh, you're, you're having, you know, a sort of a confessional moment in the middle of the night, then when you're in the studio, you're going to want to think about filling up just a very small space. Mm. But if it's more of a, you know, boisterous rocker kind of thing, you're, you're going to think about a large space to fill up. And, and I think when you're on stage, um, I mean, it's been my experience as a performer and also helping people to discover this, you can do the same thing on stage. You can fill up a small space on stage that still has the intensity that allows everybody to understand that intensity. Um, and, and then you can expand your bubble to fill towards the back row. It's the, the smaller space is no less intense, you know, even though mm-hmm. it's smaller. Um, we've all seen those moments, you know, you lean forward, you want to be, you know, next to it. You want to be right. part of it. So I think that's, you know, getting that sense of space is, difficult for a lot of folks, especially um, solo acts and, and that kind of thing. Oh, solo acts. We were, we were talking about that today, like the difficulty that technology causes here because it's like, okay, I've got this cord. I can't only move so far. You know, I'm personally a keyboard player, so I'm kind of stuck a lot of times. Yeah. Um, guitarists were talking about like, should I, you know, should I have a wireless guitar pack? Should I have a wireless mic? And then all the issues that can be caused with sound when you go wireless, you know, what, what do you, how do you help artists figure this out? Yeah. I mean, it is, it's tricky because you never know when, until you reach a certain level, you're, you're not going to have a lot of support, you know, and you're never going to know what venue is going to have what. And so you kind of have to be prepared for all eventualities and, you know, a lot, and actually a lot of times I advise people to, um, I will always advise people to practice on PA, just to always, always be on mm-hmm. PA if you want to be a performer um, or if you are a performer. Practice on PA, practice in the dark with a light shining in your face, 
practice with your PA sounding terrible. You know, just just a lot of try to specifically try to, mess up all the settings. Yeah, on the PA. <laughs> yeah, and and um, you know, sometimes what I'll do if I'm working with someone in person is I'll I'll have them leave the room. I'll I'll untune whatever instrument they're playing, and mm. you know, have them deal with that. You know, in performance conditions, and so you know, kind of trying to anticipate everything that can go wrong. You're never going to anticipate everything, but if you can get a firm kind of grounding and a sense of humor, you know, um, you're less likely to get thrown. But as far as equipment goes, you know, I think it's kind of funny. I feel like some people are on a lifelong search for the right gear. It's kind of a pursuit that never ends. It's a little bit of an obsession, I think. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I really do believe that it's important to feel like you have, you know, some empowering um, experience where, you know, play with your PA, figure out what you want, figure out what doesn't work, what does work so that you can ask for it knowledgeably, you know, maybe take a class on, on PA, you know, maybe uh, search that out or get advice from a um, front of house person or, you know, really, really try to try to get that kind of knowledge if you're, if you're not steeped in that, because the more knowledge you have, obviously the, the more you can feel like you can cope. You know, actually, the thing that occurred to me as I was talking about that is um, when you were talking about the previous question, and one thing that I I just love helping with, particularly um, women fronting bands, is mm. get, is sort of helping them get to the place where they understand that they get to be in charge, and mm. they get to be their own band leader and their own music director, and and that they need to surround themselves with with side players who are trustworthy and that they can fall back into like a safety net and that have their, you know, have their back. And that's just something that, I mean, some people don't have any problem with that, but it's not something that societally we get a whole lot of encouragement to do. Mm. So, so um, I think that's really important. I, I just love seeing women sort of come into their own around that and, and, you know, getting rid of, players who aren't there to help them you know they're that's just a pretty common thing yep. and uh and taking charge of you know this is your material you get to s- decide how it's played and you get to decide you know everything that's going on, on the stage you get to decide what everyone's wearing you know all that stuff so that's a good point I mean when I was in that position it was weird for me at first like this mm-hmm. is my band. Like I put this together. I can tell them what to do. There are a bunch of guys. I was me and a bunch of guys. Yeah. <laughs> Very common. Yeah. But they were all, I mean, like you said, you get trustworthy people and they're all totally on board with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if they aren't, then they can find another job. That's <laughs> you know? right, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so do you ever get any resistance from artists about like plan kind of planning things out on stage in advance. Cause sometimes we feel like, Oh, it's, it's not going to look organic. If it's going to look fake, if we, you know, we should just let things happen as they happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, I think there are different schools of thought on that, but I, I feel like if they've come to me, then they're open to figuring out what can be improved. And, and, you know, that's what I love about my work. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a piano teacher, you know, teaching mm-hmm. a eight-year-old who doesn't really want to be there. <laughs> you know, I'm, For the most part, I'm working with people who are, you know, they've come to me. They want this, this right. kind of experience. But I think, you know, I talk a lot about how, I mean, I know a lot of elite 
musicians who tour internationally and they are practicing their scales and they're practicing to their metronome and they are, you know, they're diving deep into their material and they're working it over and, and that's what gives them the ability to go on stage and let the spontaneous happen. And that's, mm -hmm. that's kind of what, you know, I was talking about before. I mean, you have to have preparation, you have to do it. And so I do advise people to, you know, like if we're constructing a set, we'll think very carefully about where the patter goes, what the patter is, write it down, pare it down, write it down, pare it down, memorize it. And then it can be, spontaneous you know then it's kind of in you and you can let it happen but it's planned I mean yep. it's sort of like do you go to a surgeon and kind of hope they are you, you want them to wing it or do you you know or do you want them to have you know super prepared skills and understanding I know when we use the right analogies it seems so obvious right but yeah it, it sometimes with musicians they're like but it's my passion it's you know it's yeah. flowing it's free flowing you know yeah, and by all means, free flow in there, you know. I mean, you do want that. Um, but there's, I think there's kind of a misconception. I mean, I think, I find it really interesting, like venues are always saying, oh, we don't need to pay people because they're not professionals, you know. And, and musicians are saying, you know, I don't need to put on a big show because I'm not getting paid very much, you know. It's a cycle. Right, right. And, and so it's sort of like, you know, well, I, I'm a really big believer in any time you're in public, you want to dress like you mean it, show up like you mean it, you know? Yeah, even if you're busting like you on the it. street, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. I mean, otherwise, why do it? I mean, it, sort of my little, one of my little catchphrases is you might as well, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you might as well. I mean, it's hard enough to get a show. So you might as well show up for it. For and sure. Give them a show, totally. <laughs> right? So you you talk a lot about um, like band synergy and what what do you help people with? Is this like communicating on stage? Is it like practice routines? Is it just like general, you know, interpersonal skills? Yeah, I, I feel like a big part of it is, is showing the audience that you really want to be on the stage together, mm. you know, that you have a relationship. I mean, because part of the fun is for the audience is to feel like you're getting invited in to this relationship, you know, that this band has. And, you know, the band is letting us in. And, and I think that it's interesting. I, I do a lot of work. Somehow I end up doing a lot of work with duos. And it, it's such an interesting experience because sometimes it feels like marriage counseling. <laughs> even, even if they're not in a personal relationship, it, you know, it sort of feels like marriage counseling. It, it's a lot of it is about sort of how the chemistry of the two people and, and how that's it's sort of like, I, I always say, you know, a duo is really three people because there's the one person, the other person, and then the person that the duo makes together. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so there's so much of, of that, you know, is really concentrated in a duo, but it, it, it applies just as much to a band. Um, the chemistry, the, uh, the enjoyment that, that they have with each other, the fact that they're a unit, you know, and, and that they're all sort of pulling in the same direction. But, I think the the main thing is really putting the time in to get to a higher degree of difficulty, you know, like like the divers do, mm. you know. Spending the extra time on the vocal arrangements, spending the extra time on planning out the, you know, the band arrangements, um, the set, 
everything that, that wants to tell the story of this is a high quality experience. A lot of times bands are, you know, a really good band could burn out fast and fall apart. A, a really mediocre band could last for 20 years, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but we want to get a sense that we're seeing something that people have spent some time and effort on, you know, at least I do, <laughs> you know, otherwise I'm, they might as well be playing in their living room or their basement, you know, we yeah. get a sense of that. But, but so that really means using your rehearsal time very intentionally and really, you know, it's business. It's, it's time to really do your business. And so a lot of times I'll recommend that a band comes up with an agenda for every rehearsal and even allots the time to it. And so the first 10 minutes is just playing to get, synced up and then you're going to work on new material for the next 40 minutes and then you're going to run through a set for your next gig for the next you know 45 minutes and I mean so that everything's just really business-like and that helps people feel the importance of what they're doing you know it's taking themselves seriously and so I think that's yeah you're so right I've been in enough bands where the rehearsals are just like yeah drudgery because it's like you know someone else's agenda takes over or Mm -hmm. you're just like have a lot of chit chat going on or you know you don't have any direction yeah yeah it's it is like dating you know (laughs) you gotta you gotta have the same priorities you gotta be in the same place at the same time it's the odds are kind of against you actually well it's kind of like a business meeting i mean business meetings can get derailed like that too and so having an agenda is important no, it's true. Sure. I love it is that. True. Yeah. I mean, I find that that when I'm working with people, I mean, a lot of times I work with people sort of from say so say we started working on getting a, a really nice one set show figured out. And then maybe we'll work on a two set show. And then, oh, it's time to start thinking about your record. So we'll be in heavy pre production mode and all the stuff that we've done to get the the songs prepared for um, for your live show really works toward figuring out how the record's going to work. And then um, I don't, I no longer produce full length records. I, I don't produce whole projects anymore, but I am a vocal tracks producer for, mm. for independent artists. And, and so um, they'll go off and they'll self produce or they'll work with an engineer to get all their instrument tracks together. And then I'll come back in on the project and produce their vocal tracks. And all of that stuff that we've already done, you know, is the shorthand that goes into the studio and, and they can take advantage of my ability to get performances out of people, you know, Mm -hmm. in the studio. And, and so that really is along the lines of like, you have to have that discipline of keeping that, you know, keeping that work ethic going through the whole thing and and it it just cannot help but bear fruit and then you do better shows and you sell more merch and you get more people on your mailing list and you get a bigger following and all those things happen but it's from the artistic exploration you know mm-hmm. and, and the long game of that yeah for sure I, I i mean it's probably saves a lot of studio money too when you're already yes. all practiced and you know you're not like writing a song and changing it in the middle of your studio yeah. time where you're paying yeah yeah 
And, and then when those moments happen where it's like, hey, what if we were to do this for the ending instead? And it sort of happens in the moment. It's not, you're not going down a blind trail. You know, you're, you're building on something that, right. that you've already explored, you know, quite exhaustively. For you know? sure. Well, man, you've given us a lot of great golden um, nuggets of information during this talk. I wanted to see if you had any resources that you would recommend, whether it's like books or blogs or podcasts or anything um, that is it's either for like, you know, artist development, music business, or even like self-development that you recommend, you know, to your clients. Yeah. Um, you know, one blog that comes to mind, um, and I should mention, I on my um, website, you can find a link to my blog where I interview elite level artists and um, people who are in performing of some kind, where I talk to them about performing, just about performing and what that experience is like for them. And one of the people that I recently interviewed is Corey Parker, who is an actor that you might be familiar with. And he's also an acting teacher and an acting coach. And he's got a wonderful blog called The Actor's Work. That's all mm-hmm. one word, theactorswork.com. And I find it's really helpful for musicians because, a, you know, there's a lot of crossover. And he puts so much wonderful content up there. So I would definitely recommend that, that blog, theactorswork.com. But I've, I get a lot of inspiration personally from listening to memoirs on audio mm. read by the author, the ones that are read by the author, and ones that are written by, you know, actors, musicians, other kinds of people who are in the expressive kinds of fields. And there's just some really great ones out there. One of them I really liked was Alan Arkin's book, An Improvised Life. He really talks about, he came from the land of sort of the first generation of improv actors and how that's sort of formed his his performing technique. And that, that's really fascinating. Um, Patti Smith's book, Just Kids, is really good, really interesting to listen to in her voice. And, you know, kind of off the track, but really on point, um, I found Marcus Samuelson's book, Yes, Chef, to be really interesting to listen to. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but he's a chef and um, a restaurateur. He he um, was born in Ethiopia, raised in Sweden, and trained all over the world, and now um, has the Red Rooster in Harlem. And mm. he's also on one of the food channels doing a lot of stuff there. And he has yeah, a- It seems like I recognize that name. Yeah, so he must be on the just or something. so fascinating to think about how he developed his creativity. It just kind of mm. coming from all those different places. And, you know, so I, I really find those memoirs- you know, on audiobook, just to be such a great resource. There's so many of them out there. Mm, very cool. Some very interesting suggestions that no one else has made. So that's great. Sometimes I just get really stuck, like listening to the same yeah. you know, business advice or artistic advice. And like you said, it's great to kind of go outside the sphere and get some inspiration there. So thank mm-hmm. you for those. Yeah. Um, how can our listeners get in touch with you and find out more about the services that you offer? The main place would be my website, which is www.vickiambinder.com. And that's V-I-C-K-I-A-M-B-I-N-D-E-R.com. I also have a couple of pages on Facebook. I've got a kind of a more um, casual, personal page at Vicky Ambinder. And then I've got a business page, Vicky Ambinder Coach, on Facebook. I don't do a whole lot on Twitter, but I do have a handle there. It's at coach underscore music. And, um, and then 
I do have a newsletter you can subscribe to on my website where I post very, I mean, where I um, send out just very occasional few times a year newsletters about uh, master classes and other classes I might be offering and, and other kinds of things. So the people can keep in touch that way as well. Perfect. That sounds great. So you guys go check that out. Thank you so much, Vicki. This has been a really great conversation. I've really enjoyed it. And I love having someone on here to talk a little bit more about the artistic side for a change. So thank you. Now go out and make great music, connect with your fans and grow your business. Female Entrepreneur Musician has been brought to you by femusician.com and femalemusicianacademy.com. With editing by Jen Eads of 317 Sound Design and music by Stella Ronson.